0: Good morning, everyone. Welcome to another episode of Security Confidential. Today, we have some very interesting guests on our show. We have our own Kevin Casey, who's our fearless leader. We have Philip Rich on on the show as well. Phil is um, a partner of Dark Rhinos as he his company does a lot of work, Lead House with us. He's one of the co-founders of Leadhouse. Uh, and he has uh, been kind enough to join us this morning, along with his partner, uh, Kevin Swift, who is also a co-founder of Leadhouse. And he's joined us this morning. Good morning, gentlemen. Thanks for joining us on the show
1: today. Uh, appreciate you guys being here. Hey, well, thank you, uh, thank you for having us, guys. And uh, I think we have a, a debut on our side, but also on Kevin's side. I think it's the first one he's joining on. Uh, that's that's exactly right you know
0: kevin uh does not usually get on these shows and this is a first for him so we're looking we're we he's usually stuck back there in the back room we're pulling him out to the front
2: i feel like i just got off of the uh, practice squad uh for an nfl football team and i didn't really make the team but they asked me to fill in because the punter got sick
1: (laughs) So so I thought it was actually because you were excited to talk to me and Phil.
2: No, that's that's simply not the case. Not at all. Okay.
0: And it I brought was, my phone. Yes, hey. these, uh, these shows are a volunteer lineup. And in this instance, everybody stepped back and Kevin was the last one standing in the front. Yeah.
1: So. <laughs> Wait, you're saying we're not getting paid for this? No. Oh, well, well you, we, you can know, you day, okay. we can send you a bottle
0: of bourbon. We can do that. We can absolutely, well, actually, you guys are Canadian. Does uh, Canada allow shipment of alcohol across the border? Uh, I don't that know. Sounds like cool
3: that sounds like a true question. I don't know. I'm not sure, actually. I'm pretty sure duties for this are probably through the roof if they uh, if they do go through. But I've never talk- and Canada is one thing now too, but right, you, you have to deal with uh,
1: the SAQ as well in Quebec, which is a, an extra layer of uh, of annoyance here for alcohol.
0: So, you know, guys, everyone listening on this show, we have essentially four entrepreneurs on right now. and and uh, you know we were gonna we're gonna discuss a couple things here with this group. I wanted to start with one topic. Mm-hmm. I, it's a question for everyone here. Um, I don't. This is now Minoja's personal belief that there is very little correlation between your level of education and success as an entrepreneur, or, for that matter, success in life
1: and i think to me it's all about uh, first of all for me it's a no for me i agree with my here it's a no and i think one of the reasons for that is um you can't teach work ethic it's very hard to teach work ethic um, you can try to push it as much as you can but if you if you're not it, it's just a different breed right entrepreneurs are a different breed of people they're people who um it gets you stick to your sick to your stomach to work Twelve hours a day, but the next morning it's also what gets you up and drives you in the morning, right? It's it's what's exciting to you in the morning is, God, here's here's all the issues I, I have to deal with, uh, and at night when you finally go to bed, you're like, Ugh, you know, finally the day is over. But the next morning, it, it's kicking you out of bed.
2: I agree. So um, for me, and this is my ninth company, um, I, I would uh, attribute uh, entrepreneurship as uh, building a business is really about a marathon and not a sprint. Um, in the last three years that Minoj and I, since we've started this organization, uh, we've gone through a few equity partners who um, felt um, that you know we should be where we are today when we first started. So if I uh, use the analogy that it you know building a business um, is more of a marathon than a sprint, I think that's one of the good advice, uh, something that other entrepreneurs could uh, take uh, and listen to. Absolutely.
0: Phil, your thoughts?
3: Uh, As to whether a degree versus- Do you need
0: that education? Do you think you have to have a heavy education?
3: I'll bring you back into my story then. So I do have a degree in urban planning in, in which some of these, classes or courses got me ahead of the curve in terms of marketing and reporting uh, data points to a lot of our either our current clients or our past clients uh, I think it gave me a boost uh, to be more successful in this side of things especially on on the PPC side on the on the uh, funnel creation side how to attract more customers, and how to actually report and make better decisions throughout the process. But to be honest with you, this is probably the only aspect that I would, that I would have kept uh, throughout this degree. And I would uh, honestly believe I would still be at the same stage uh, in my professional life if I hadn't uh, gotten that degree.
0: Uh, and I would, go ahead, I'm sorry.
1: S-s- sorry, So right now we're kind of attributing the question to whether or not um, a degree is useful to grow a business, like to start a business, grow a business, be right. successful. But even within our own industry, so even with even within the tech industry, we've seen how developers who learn on their own are often are better developers, are better problem solvers. Um, even to the point where at least here in, in Quebec, some of the stuff that they would teach, um, in university for programming is none of the stuff that you're going to use in real life. So a lot of the courses are kind of backdated. I don't know if it's because the, they, it's too hard to keep up, you know, with the time curriculum. With the, exactly. There's like a time lag between the current technology that's being used, um, by, by tech companies and what's being taught.
2: Yeah, and I would. So okay. one of the things I would add, Manoj, too, uh, as it relates to your original question about uh, whether or not an advanced degree is um, warranted or needed, or even just a degree in general, um, I would I would just simply uh, state that it's okay not to have all the answers. Um, the in my experience, there I I came into entrepreneurship with a a, a very well rounded education and a certain set of experiences but none of which or very few of which actually prepared me for the challenges that I faced and continued to face as uh, an entrepreneur. And prior to uh, this opportunity with Dark Rhino, I was a lone entrepreneur. So we um, uh, having to rely on my own skills, my own faith, my own belief, um, passion. Um, but I feel that, um, now having equity partners, and that they bring certain sets of skills and their own uh, sets of experiences, and um, it's okay that I don't have all those answers. So, um, you know, going back to the original question is, you know, I don't think that in today's society that um, you necessarily need an advanced degree. Um, you need to, you know, believe in yourself uh, and and have the the passion. And the commitment and the willingness to accept risk that comes with being an entrepreneur.:
0: So and Kevin, uh, very well stated, uh, and you know on that, there's something that uh, there's a couple things you stated there. And, and I think, you know, at the end of the day, if you have the ability to think, and you know I, I have a degree in engineering, uh, and I don't use any of that today, but what I do use of it is that ability to think. And mm-hmm. that's that's what I got out of it. So, and when, if you look at passion, perseverance, it's a marathon, not a sprint. Y- you're gonna have a lot of challenges. Y- you must have that ability to think independently if you are going to be a successful entrepreneur. I, I think that's a common, lowest common denominator that unites all of us. But there was something else, uh, Kevin, that you stated uh, or that you've often said, but it's related to your earlier statement here. Uh, is you have to I forget how you always state. I'm going to paraphrase that you have to what are you willing to trade for what you're willing to get? you know yeah. uh, and I think that's a that's very, very that's a really important statement. A lot of people want to make a lot of money. A lot of people want to start their company. A lot of people want to do a lot of things. but there's a real trade involved there. And maybe you can expand upon that a little bit. Yeah.
2: I would say it's, it's uh, nothing's free, <laughs> yeah you know, so I would say it's um combination of two things one it's uh finding your balance um for me, when you run a business uh, you're simultaneously uh, being pulled in ten different directions at one time um there's this always there's fire to flight, and there's always a the problem that seems to be uh needs to be resolved and when I was younger, I would I would allow those things to negatively impact me um, or be, let, me, let them become angry. Or, uh, and I was very, very, very impatient. Um, you know, and what I realized is that you know, as the captain of the ship. Um, it's really super critical that I'm uh, making decisions that are predicated upon uh, the best use of information that I have at this time. And uh, the fact that um, uh, sometimes it's very important that we walk away from, um, from what we do and uh, find exercise or uh, yoga or golf or whatever it might be um, and uh, just find that balance within the organization.
1: Yeah, and I, I think a good thing to add to that point, Kevin, is um, you know you have to kind of choose your battles and and I think one of the best skills as an entrepreneur is knowing how to surround yourself with mm-hmm. the best people that can fill in the gaps because it's impossible to know everything, right? So um, you have to sort of delegate and, and, and surround yourself with people that are good and stuff that you're not. Uh, and therefore, everyone's kind of pushing in the same direction um, yeah. and filling in those gaps.
3: And we're yeah. wearing so many hats at the same time as well. So Especially at the, um, at the startup level. Um, <laughs> It can become a tornado quite uh, quite fast. To be honest, sometimes. Right.
1: Yeah, I think it's probably one of the huge or main differences between a startup and a and a corporation. Right? Is like Phil said, you're wearing four, five, six, seven hats, whereas often in a in a bigger company, um, you're kind of isolated into a role. Uh, in a company like ours, what we tell people that we hire is, um, whatever you do, right, whatever role that you're you're coming into the company for, as a startup it will impact the company, every move that you make, whether it's a positive or negative impact, it will impact the company because we're, we're so small, although we're doing very good and we're growing, you're still small compared to, to the mega sharks. Right. Um, every move that an employee makes every, every day is impactful, uh, either on a, on a small scale or bigger scale, depending on, on what, the, what the role is, but um, nothing goes to waste.
2: That reminds me of um, you know one of the founding principles um, at Dark Rhino, and it was and it it really was it's it was taken borrowed uh, willingly from a gentleman named Simon Sinek, and I don't know if you have ever read any of his books. Uh, he's done TED talks. One of the TED talks is uh, how great leaders inspire action, and um, he that was the first time that he introduced not what companies do but why so it's not how or what it's always about the why so as an entrepreneur and especially at Dark Rhino uh, when we were setting out to be different it wasn't about what we do or how we do it but it was why we do it and I feel that uh, entrepreneurship is much more about the why because a lot of that is intrinsic um, than it is about what or how so um, I think that makes us better leaders, and um, uh, if we focus on that as well. When? What's the definition of a startup? When do you stop
1: being a startup? Because we're we're going to be two years old here in in 19 days. And um,
0: congratulations, by the way. Yes, congratulations. Yeah, w- w-
1: which again is a huge milestone. Uh, you know, given that Leadhouse um, is a combination of a few companies that existed, so it's not like we're fresh out of the womb two years ago, but um still you know you, you kind of have these milestones normally where once you know I forget what the stat is but a huge percentage of startups don't even make it to the to the 2 year mark or the 5 year mark or, or the 4 year mark so when do you define yourself as not being your startup and what's those milestones and what do they really mean after all
2: Years ago when I was in graduate school <laughs> um I I would define that as long a company is still searching for a business model it's called a startup as soon as it's found a business model it's no longer a startup so it's regardless of the time it has to do with its ability to execute upon a strategy that they wanted to implement that would be i feel how
3: someone would define that (laughs) i love this definition actually
0: this is a question for both you kevin and phil is that you guys are in technology as well, and you guys do a lot of web development. You you do, uh, hosting. You do a lot of things that a lot of other companies do, and and you've made it two years, and you're growing, and you guys do excellent work. But how do you differentiate yourself in the market? You know.
1: I, I think one of the first things, and it's it's interesting you say that because we we do hosting and we do websites, right? Um, but we like to compare those to. To our hot dogs, right? So if you're kind of selling hot dogs at a corner stand, the uh, the websites and the hosting are sort of the byproduct and the quick in and outs, right? So someone will come for a website, they'll be in for a very short sales cycle. Uh, we develop the website, it goes out, um, and it's good for the business. If you stop those hot dogs, right? You're stopping people from kind of showing up to your shop, um, even though they're not the biggest margin or the biggest uh, you know revenue for our business. We we actually. Uh, the majority of our business is actually focused on mobile app development and web applications, right? So uh, more complex back-end structures um, You know uh, managing a lot of businesses automating a lot of tasks uh, and then within the mobile space uh, mobile applications for, for clients either for, for B2B purposes or, or B2C purposes We also have a lot of, of games. So one of the things that kind of sets us apart is um, you know the level of of artist designs that we're able to bring into games, AR, VR, 3D rendering. Um, And that's where we kind of, I think, separate ourselves from the the kind of majority of web agencies, right? The typical web agency is going to kind of do a little bit of website here and there and a little bit of marketing here and there, but not to the level of being able to produce, you know, 3D rendering in apps and in AR and VR. I think that's where we really set ourselves apart um, from, from the typical agency. Uh, and then like i was saying earlier i just don't think that we can sell ourselves as being better developers than anyone else there's a lot of good developers at a lot of good companies um i think the experience that you give to your clients is where you really make the difference uh, between yourself and the next guy
0: i want to switch back to a comment uh kevin swift that you made earlier about the number of startups that fail right uh, there, I think the statistic is 90% is probably the lowest number, and depending on what rag you read, it'll be somewhere in that continuum uh, or that order of magnitude. But I, I don't think that folks listening should be dissuaded by that because there's a, there's a few things that we don't know in that number is, A, as Kevin stated, how many people, it's a marathon, right? So how many people actually quit the race and they were so close to finishing it? Right, We don't know that. We don't know how many of those people were actually qualified to be a functional business to begin with, right? Uh, so I would be really curious, and I don't think there's ever been a study done on if you had the right management team, the right product ideation, and the market had a need for that service, how many of those companies actually end up not succeeding? I don't know what that answer is, but I can't believe it would be as high as
3: 90%. I think
1: part of it, and, and I love this part of the discussion because we talked about this a lot, and I'm I would be more than happy to discuss about our own struggles. And you know, it's it's never it's not always been uh, fun and easy, right? There's there's we've had our own share of of, of, of really important struggles. Um, but to come back to your question is. I think there's even a, an aspect of timing sometimes you can have the good idea and the good execution and timing might be off a small percentage has to be attributed to luck as well Of you know you kind of meet the right person at the right time and something kind of sparks um and on top of that uh it, it's it's crazy you know you read these stories on linkedin of uh, a company that raises you know uh half a billion dollars for for something yeah. and then they go bankrupt within six months right it's I, I think there's also a, just a level of, of mismanagement or, or trying to maybe hyper-accelerate your growth and you kind of just hit a
2: wall. Um, but yeah, I mean, we've had our own... It's, but it, that's also a problem of the venture capital and private equity forms, too, um, that they invest willy-nilly and... In, well, let me, let me rephrase that. They, they don't invest willy-nilly. That, uh, that's wrong um i i think there's undue pressures on um startups in general to achieve certain revenue and profitability that's often um uh, unheard of or unrealistic in in the first few years uh, thus increasing the likelihood of failure uh, that's why only one in ten of vcs uh, investments typically pan out
0: and, and kevin you know there's a i and i don't remember the number offhand but there is a significant difference in success rate between those startups that are VC backed versus those that were bootstrapped. Mm-hmm. The bootstrap crowd is way ahead on the success curve, and maybe that speaks to some of the soft elements. It's not about the money. It's about, um, you know, do you have the perseverance? Do you have the mindset? And do you have that self-confidence that you are going to succeed and you are willing to make certain trades? Uh, Because in your personal life, there are going to be trades. It's not going to be, I am done at five o'clock in the evening and I'm going to go to the kids' soccer game every day. We'll need another
3: podcast for for, for that aspect, yes.
0: Yeah, well, I I think there's a lot of pressure that comes on the family uh, with things like that. but. But what are you willing to give up for what you want? And that is a fundamental question that every entrepreneur or would-be entrepreneur better really ask, because you are going to give up stuff. And unfortunately,
1: it's not always super clear how close the end of the tunnel is, right? Sometimes you feel like you're you're kind of getting to your to your drowning point. You don't realize that the next corner is finally where something you know goes in your favor. Um, and it's you have these kind of challenges every. You know every couple of weeks every couple of months depending on, on where you're at in your company and it's like man you know sh- do I want to spend the next 20 years kind of always having this this internal debate about you know is it is it all of this worth it um, and I think it's I think it's hard and I think just some people um, aren't built to be able to handle this for enough time to, to really turn that corner
2: I would agree Kev um for for me in my experience uh, people always say well you know you're you have such a high risk tolerance and that's absolutely not true uh for me i th- i believe it's the ability to understand and accept the risk associated with it um and, and i know it's just a slightly different bent or twist on on those words but it's that it's that ability to say it's not always going to be okay, um, and, um, uh, but believe that you when you wake up the next day that you're going to get up and put your pants on and get dressed and you're going to do your best effort. And it's through that determination, that commitment, that uh, never give up attitude that truly does separate um, people that are successful from those that are not. And the other thing I would ask, and and we have this um, uh, with some of our equity partners as well, less with Manoj, because he's he's been there with me before. um, But it's the ability to make an informed decision uh, that's often gray. It's not black and white. You don't uh, it's not like financials or mathematics where there's or science where there's a defined answer. Often you have to uh, make a decision uh, that's predicated upon the best known information that you have at this time, and sometimes it's the wrong decision. And the ability to then pivot quickly and say, geez, I screwed up, I made the wrong decision, uh, and I need to make a different one uh, is imperative uh, for successful entrepreneurship.
3: And that quality of experience does, uh, I mean, if information, sorry, does come with experience. It does. You will always make better uh, better calls throughout your company when you failed at certain projects, certain other companies so many times, right? We learn from these mistakes. Mm-hmm. And I truly believe that learning from these mistakes is actually uh, what sets you apart uh, from the others.
2: So, Phil, one of the, so, um, like, I feel you're spot on. Um and and maybe another way of saying that is uh is the willingness to compassionately say, I don't know. Yeah. And that's okay. Um it's okay not to know something. It just really is. But it's that ability to go out and find or to research or to get the answers that separate, you know, I, again, the people that are or are not
3: successful. And it's kind of crazy that you mentioned this because we just discussed um, the problematic with certain types of developers versus the ones that we we feel uh, do the best is, is actually the ones that jump into some of a, some aspects of a certain project and don't know how to actually render out this project. And they'll go out there and do the research test some stuff out. And the, most of them that do grind, that grind their mentality, they will come back with the solution.
2: Well, if you back in the 80s and probably the early 90s, if you look at organizations like General Electric or Honeywell or Procter & Gamble, um, they had true management training programs or executive training programs. And um, so let's just assume that I graduated with an MBA from University of Pennsylvania in finance. So P&G would hire me and there was an expectation that you were going to work in finance. Well, when you get into the management program at P&G, they take a finance guy and they put him in human resources and then he has to learn the human resource aspect of the business. And then they take that same individual and they put him in sales and they put him in charge of a product. So you're like, what the hell am I doing? I'm a finance guy, I'm a CPA and what am I doing selling product? Well, the reason for that, the fundamental reason for what why Procter & Gamble, General Electric, and other successful organizations in the 80s and 90s did that is because they wanted men and women that were well-rounded. They wanted them to understand different aspects of the business. So that as they rose the corporate ladder, they had more um, experiences that they could relate to so they could make better informed decisions. And I feel that's... Um, part of what makes entrepreneurs successful as well. Manoj, any comment on that?
0: No, I, Kevin, I, I, A, I agree with you, and B, I think it also it provided opportunities for people to quote-unquote fail successfully. And that, that doesn't mean that Procter & Gamble or GE or any other megacorp is, uh, or uh, any company is looking to say failure is uh, is a great thing. Mm -hmm. But as Phil pointed out, there just can't be success without failure and giving somebody that varied experience set forces them to operate in the gray area. When you operate in a gray area, you're going to make decisions that you don't know a lot of uh, based on things you don't know a lot about, and you are going to make those mistakes and you got to get comfortable with that Mm -hmm. if you're going to be successful or you will not be successful. I, I, mean. I, I, th-
1: I think Kevin, when he was talking about risk tolerance earlier, I think there's two levels of risk tolerance. There's as a person, how much can you, can you tolerate? But then as a company, right, how many, how many little failures can you tolerate monetarily as a company before you just have to, to crash, right? So um, the, when you're taking risks and, and decisions to, to hopefully grow, um, you know, as you stated, as a person you have to be ready to take that risk but then as a business you can only afford to take so many of these risks uh before you you just can't afford them anymore
2: Businesses typically hopefully still transacted on on a, on a personal relationship
0: well, well kevin shape. how many rfps have we participated in that we knew we were column fodder going into it right yeah. i mean there, there's no but what, was,
2: but what was interesting you know again we, we you know we can publicly we won't make the announcements but you know we came in second in every one of those, we went against billion dollar companies, and it sucks coming in second, like Kevin Swift said. but the fact that a small company like ourselves was asked to participate, and we made it through four or five six levels of of weeding out and then they ultimately make a decision because you know one company's six billion in revenue and you 're six million, the risk tolerance to that. Megacorp is less with the $6 billion company than it is with the 6 million. But the problem is, as we all know, and Kevin, I wouldn't, and Phil, I would agree is where these large organizations fail. at least in my opinion is they, they go with the safe, and uh, rather than the, an organization like ourselves or like yours that are, that are predicated upon thinking outside of their own paradigm. And, um, and in, in our experience with you know, getting participatory with some of these CIO roundtables or CISO roundtables, there's no innovation in these big companies or very little innovation. And, uh, you know, um, and I think we as an entrepreneur uh, community have to continue to challenge these stoic institutions to uh, think outside of the half a dozen billion dollar companies that are out there providing either um, Managed services in our in our case or in yours, uh, custom web development and application development. So I
1: think I think one of the other points here is I like to I always like to compare the big companies to a big container ship. Right, it's very slow to kind of turn around and do something different. Um, whereas we're kind of like a speedboat, right? So it's very easy for us to kind of turn on a dime uh, and go from having a you know, a, a, a complete left turn to all the way a complete right turn, even 360 yeah. on ourselves a few times. Uh, but a, a huge corporation, some of our huge competitors, uh, sometimes our advantage is the fact that we can turn on a dime and do something quicker, turn around faster, or make a change. Um, and, I, and I think that plays into our advantage a lot.
2: I, agreed. And, and Kev, um, and Manoj mentioned it earlier, you know, you know we, we talked about um, – uh, or we alluded to um, our why, but one of the other founding principles of Dark Rhino Security was something that I I fervently believed in and I've used in every one of my organizations. And, and to be very truthful, it, it took Minoj a little bit to to understand the concept of Blue Ocean Strategy, what that meant, why it was important, and how we as, as leaders within DRS could implement and execute a Value innovation strategy. So, Anoj, maybe you could share some of your own experience with with realizing why that was important for you and how it benefits and how you think it differentiates ours in the market.
0: Well, uh, a differentiation is key to the success of any business. I don't think anyone here is going to argue that point, or anyone listening is going to argue that point. But how you achieve it is is paramount, right? Uh, you can. Traditionally, achieve it with having a product that is three or four x better than anybody else in the market. Uh, you can come up with a new service idea that no one had thought of, and that's when when people think innovation. Those are the kinds of things they're thinking something totally brand new, out of this world. And those concepts, in reality, are very rare, right? But there's this whole idea of value innovation as well you can be in an existing market and essentially shift the cost value curve that's associated with that market without getting into heavy economic theory, but that's that's the basic basics of it. And blue ocean strategy is about doing just that so that even though you may be providing a service that others, or a product that others may be providing, or some combination thereof, you are fundamentally packaging it in a totally different value offering that sets you apart, and you, is in essence, uh, metaphorically wind up in a blue ocean where you don't have the competition, and you, the competition becomes irrelevant, quote unquote, to to a large degree, right? I think for me, you know, when Kevin Kevin that this was Kevin's idea, that was his vision. But turning that vision into strategy was a very difficult uh and painful exercise. In it's my a lot own of failure. Experience.
2: A lot of failure. Yeah, a
0: lot of failure. I mean, we we did the Thomas Edison thing. You know, we I we can tell you about two thousand things that don't work. Right. <laughs> <laughs> but but uh, we have found one or two things that now do work and um, they're core to what to what we do, right? But it was a painful experience. It, it was not something that uh, we say, all right, this is our vision and, and strategy and this is what we're going to do on day one. Um, you know, you have to know yourself. how to evolve. You yeah. have to know how to evolve. And pivot. And pivot, pivot quickly. We pivoted a lot. In our own experience, right?
2: You know what I see. Uh, so Kevin and Phil, this is directed to you guys. And in the short period of time that that I've known you, and I mean this in all sincerity, it, there seems to be a, a much as like Minoj and I have uh, garnered a healthy respect for one another. It appears that you and and Phil, Kev, have the ability to respectfully disagree. You may not always, uh, you know, I, I don't know you all that well, but uh, you you can. Each see one another's perspective, uh, but at the same time, you probably have some healthy arguments. At the same time, just like uh, uh, Minoj and I do, <laughs> uh, but you know, at, at the end of the day, you have each other's backs. So when you have uh, equity partners, to know that you know what you can fight like brothers, but at the at the end of the day, you know. There, there's just something about going to bed and waking up the next morning, knowing that your partner has your back,
3: and that's uh, I think it's very
2: important. So,
3: hundred yeah, percent. And got obviously, we, we do we do have different avenues of thinking as to how we can get to, from point A to point B uh, in most of our projects. But we, how can I say this? Uh, no matter the course we would take. We know that we have the experience and the will to get to that point yes so so obviously this this does cause some 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 road bumps and we'll tell each other off and uh, maybe five or ten minutes after uh, we'll apologize so and we'll get on to something else but mm-hmm. I know for a fact I could leave my my bedroom right now because obviously we're, we've been working remote since covid yeah and that there's a very important project that's Possibly uh, that has a deadline for tomorrow. And even though I could not be there, I know it will get, it will get done. Yep. And that's the okay. most important part. And that comes um, with experience. That comes with trust. Um, and, you're, and you're right when you mentioned that you wake up the morning after and then, I don't know about you guys, but I, my kids wake me up at five in the morning, but I'd say five, ten minutes after. Uh I'm back on the computer looking at all these projects that we have and just trying to to reassess where we were yesterday and where we are today and I think that's a uh, that's a very very um, that's, that's something that not uh, everyone can do right mm-hmm. but it, I guess I, I I call it passion to be honest yeah
0: so let me. You know, on that note of passion, and, and we're coming upon, you know, uh, towards the end of our time, which all of you have been very generous with, and and I thank you for that, otherwise we wouldn't have a show. But <laughs> um, I would, in parting, like to ask one question of all of you. I'd love to get everyone's opinion on it. As, as business owners and entrepreneurs, if you were to boil down your number one challenge that you think that you faced, what would it be in the journey? I'll start with Kevin Casey first.
2: Oh God, I'm still thinking. Um, yeah. So knows uh, you know, I'm 58. I'm the oldest of all of us here on the, on the list. So I feel that the question could be asked uh, in the same way, but given different answers based on where I am in my life, both from a financial or economic perspective, an emotional perspective, um, or other various answers. Um, however, to try to 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 say or try to answer the question, um, it's um, it was never. I'll I'll say what it wasn't. I always believed. In my ability to execute, always. Um, so I, I, I always believed in myself. Um, I, I would say if, if I had answered the question, I'm sorry, I'm, I'm stumbling here. Is um, that's
0: okay? It's a tough question.
2: Yeah, it's a, it's a tough question. Is, um, you know, just is actually, I would probably, uh,
0: God. That's hard.
2: <laughs> um
0: think about it.
2: I am trying to I'm I'm going so, to pass right
0: now. So Mr. Go Swift. Ahead. <laughs> what's your what's your thoughts?
2: It's it's funny, uh Munoz and Kevin,
1: because it is a very difficult question, right? And I think some of the well one of the things you just said, Kevin, is you can always trust yourself, right? Mm-hmm. Um So I guess it kind of comes back to the classic, if you want it done right, sometimes you just have to do it yourself. Um, And what I noted down here after Minoz asked the question is, um, one of the, I guess, biggest challenges is trusting the right people, you know, especially at the beginning when, again, you can only survive so many bad moves. Mm -hmm. Um, It's kind of like playing. So, So for us, we, we never took an investment, right? So we started the company um, with zero dollars, right? And we were cash flow positive kind of from day one, right? Um, and we funny. kind of ran with that.
2: We we were, right? we were the same way,
1: 100%. Right, and then I guess the difference between a company like ourselves or someone who starts with an investment is you have a little bit more padding to make the mistakes. And for us, um, the biggest challenge was. A combination of uh, monetary resources and trusting the right people. Because when if you trust the wrong person, you burn through the very little cash flow that you do have mm-hmm. um, to be able to to move forward and grow. And that was a big challenge. You know, they they always say that you make money with money. So when you're starting with zero, you're kind of playing catch up for a long time, just to be able to really start growing and solidifying your business. So for us, I remember the times where just making payroll on on a, on a Tuesday, you know, it's was like, okay, you know, are, are we are we okay this week? Are we going to be fine? If there's ever anything, we know, you know, me and Phil are the first ones to to cut out. And even for a long time, we took nothing, right? We we're putting it all right back into into everyone else. I've always I've always told our our guys that, um, if you're selling a product, you're 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 really focusing on, on that's what you're selling to the customers, but. Our product is you guys. Our product is is our is our employees. We put everything into them. It's it's what we invest in. And
0: Mister Rich,
3: your thoughts? I really have to go with uh, what Kev is saying. I would also um, man, it's tough. This is, so many memories are coming out through uh, this podcast. <laughs> I wasn't expecting this. Um, honestly, if we were to do this all over again, the, the lead house experience. I would have the same, and I'll call them failures at the beginning. Why? Because we've learned so much from these failures. So I don't see a, a kind of like a um, another path where, if we were to restart this all over again, but if, I don't see different kinds of challenges coming in the way we would be ready for these challenges, but the same thing would happen. I have an answer for you, Manoj, to the question. Um, right. give
2: Phil a little chance to think about it. Cause it is, yeah. it's, it is a very, very difficult question. I wish you would have asked us in advance. So we would have prepared,
0: <laughs> yeah, but then it takes away from the naturalness of what our show is. Um, this is totally
2: unscripted. It is yeah, unscripted. Totally. Um, so, I have an answer, at least for me, and that is a sense of urgency. Um, If there was one thing I could change, and that is to have that others would have the same sense of urgency that I do uh, in order to get things accomplished. And that simply just doesn't happen very often.
0: (laughs) Well, I'm going to answer this as well. Uh, as being a part of this, and for me, it really the biggest challenge was getting out of that mindset and realizing more importantly that a lot of decisions that I was making or whether it was regards to the business or anything else in personally were made out of fear. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And that's been a big change for me is getting out of that mindset. I now it's I, I, I'm I not going to make a decision out of fear. Not going to do it. You know, uh, we're going to do what needs to be done as it needs to be done. And if it's something we don't want to hear the answer to that we know is going to be a negative answer, that's OK. You know, I'd rather know some of those things, you know, Uh, bad news doesn't uh, smell any better with time you know it's gonna smell worse. (laughs) it smells worse
2: I guess
1: I I even have a question for Phil is kind of knowing everything we've gone through and now we know kind of the end result so it's kind of like you go up the hill but you don't really know what's on the other side right is it is it all worth it or not Um, you know going in blindly again would you do it again Phil you know is it something you would be ready to go through again
3: I think uh, emotionally, pro- emotionally, probably not. I would say not at this stage. This, this, whatever we have struggled with and accomplished at the same time, it does take a toll on you, to be honest. Uh, if we were to redo this tomorrow, I don't, I don't think I'd be able to. At least not with a major setback of a couple months or a couple of years.
0: Yeah. yeah. And that gets to you know what were you willing to give up for what you wanted? Absolutely. Right? Yeah, and there's, and there's there's some something... these are things you can't learn for our audience in business school. No, I don't care what you, MBA program oh. you go to, no, you're you not going to get this.
2: Whatever life throws at us, it's the ability to overcome. And I feel that all of us on this um, on this podcast have demonstrated the ability to overcome no matter what what's ever been thrown in front of us.
1: And, and kind of one of the last points that I wanted to mention that that goes with what Kevin just said and Manoj said earlier is maybe my generation is more frail to some to some things, and to Kevin's point is they want everything now, but they don't necessarily want to work for it. And right. kind of translate that into, it's easy, hey Kevin, it's easy for you, you don't have to go to work if you feel like crap today, you're your own boss, you know, you're lucky. But then again, they don't want to make that leap because they want to make sure that they can buy whatever they want tomorrow and know that the salary's coming in, right? So it's like they want the, the plus side without having to work for the for the annoying side Mm -hmm.
0: that my friend is human nature and on (laughs) that uh, (laughs) on that note i know uh, you guys have been very generous thank you Uh, thank you for joining this episode and appreciate everyone's feedback uh take care everyone and have a great weekend